Listen, I don't know what's going to happen in other services, but this service is having church this morning. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this service is having church. I'm so glad that you're here. Let me say a big welcome to all of our streamers. We have more than 200 people who are in our church through the web stream every Sunday. We're averaging more than 200 people having church with us. One of my friends is on an airplane today to a work site he's got to get to having church with us. Last week, we had somebody streaming church live from Key West. Um, and if you're in Key West today, we want you to know we hate you. Um, we're glad you're watching church, but we're very jealous of where you are. And I'm so glad that you're here. When you can't be here, you can be here. Get online um, and watch us. You know, the, the day April 26, 2003 was a day that would change the life of Aaron Ralston forever. This, this guy, Aaron Ralston, was a brilliant um, kind of businessman. He was a mechanical engineer um, who was fluent in French he minored in piano at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But a year before this, he had quit his job at Intel as a, as a mechanical engineer, and he felt like he just wanted to live his life outdoors. So he moved to Aspen, and he had a goal to climb all 59, 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado in the winter um, on a solo climb, which had never been done before. He has since accomplished it. And in the spring, preparing to get ready for some of his winter climbs, he was in Utah, he was in a canyon, practicing and getting ready when his life would change forever because he was kind of scaling down this canyon, an 800-pound boulder kind of dislodged and trapped him in this canyon. It sat right on his arm, and he couldn't move. He had his, he had his camera, so every day he would kind of film what was going on in his head, what he was going through. He rationed his water, he rationed his protein bar, and at the end of five days, he went to sleep realizing that, listen, if I wake up tomorrow... Um, it's do or die. I, I got to get out of here. You can see on this a little bit where he's got a little cut on his arm. About four days into this experience, he started seeing if he could cut his arm off uh, because he didn't have any cell phone service. He'd been waiting for someone to come by. He hadn't told anyone where he was or what he was doing. He realized nobody was coming. So he woke up on the sixth morning and he said, I got to get out of here. And as he tried to start cutting his arm off, he realized he couldn't cut through the bone. So he took a little courage, but he realized that he had to break his arm before he could cut his arm off. So he, he got up the strength to break one of the bones in his arm using the leverage of the wall and the rock. And then he mustered up the strength to break the other bone in his arm and got lucky and it was in the same place um, by using the leverage of the canyon. And then he cut his arm off with a pocket knife that he had. He put a tourniquet on his arm and he walked eight miles before he found someone who rescued him and he made it. Later, it would take 13 men a winch and a hydraulic jack to move that rock so they could get his arm and take it back to him. They weren't able to attach it, so they cremated it, and later he took it back and emptied out the ashes there. But he said, I woke up on the sixth morning, and I realized I had two choices. I could lose my arm or I could lose my life. And that wasn't a difficult decision. However, carrying out the decision wasn't easy. And there's an unbelievable spiritual lesson in that story of Aaron Ralston. Here's the lesson. Here's the parallel to our church. Maybe here's the parallel to your life. Our church exists to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. And that, that's happening. We're reaching people who don't currently know God, and they're starting to walk with God. But here's the tension. When people connect to Jesus, they often stay connected to their lives before Jesus and this doesn't work well as we pursue spiritual and emotional health. And here's the deal. For so many people this year, this year is a year of pursuing emotional health so we can be fully alive spiritually. But here is the tension. As we pursue emotional health, we don't disconnect from all the 
emotional unhealthy things in our life as we pursue spiritual health, and the old ruins the new. At a football coach in college, he used to every year give us a, a saying that he had about, you know, basically how one bad apple could ruin the team. And he would say, listen, guys, if you take one drop of the freshest, clearest, pure water from a fresh mountain stream, if you take one drop of the most pure water in the world and you drop it in a barrel of poison, it does nothing to it. But if you take one drop of poison and you drop it in a barrel of the finest wine in the world, it ruins the entire thing. And some of us in here today, we're trying to pursue a life filled with emotional health, but we haven't emptied out the poison of the emotional unhealthy things in our life, the spiritually unhealthy things in our life, so that we can fill up with the new. We're trying to do both, and the old is ruining the new. This is where the tension of emotional health, of spiritual health comes in. It's not that we don't want to be spiritually healthy. I think everyone would make the decision if they could, out with the old, in with the new. It's not deciding to do it. It's carrying out the decision that's the painful part of the process of spiritual growth or what I call the tension. If you're facing tension in your spiritual life, it's probably between the old and the new. And there's no better place to study about the tension of spiritual growth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or you can open up the, our Journey Church International app on your phone. Everything you see on the screen will be downloaded there for you. And as we enter week three of this Mood Swinger series, this series is all about finding and living with emotional health and spiritual health. This week we're talking about, okay, we've made good decisions. We know what we want in our life how do we balance the tension of what needs to leave our life? We turn to the book of Corinth. And listen, Corinth is a perfect book for us to study this topic because Corinth was the most American New Testament city. I want to give you just some quick facts on Corinth. Corinth was the, the most American New Testament city, which means this. It was highly, highly secularized in kind of anything went in Corinth. As a matter of fact, in ancient history, the phrase to Corinthianize which was coined by a secular first century author, basically meant the same thing as what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like the, the non-religious people said, if you really want to go where crazy things happen, go to Corinth. To Corinthianize is to, man, have a big, big time. Um, Corinth was located on an isthmus that connected two bodies of land. I think we've got a little map. It's a four-mile isthmus that you can see today if you look real close. There's a canal through it. There wasn't a canal in those days, but cutting across the isthmus would save you months of travel. So they actually had a rolling log platform set up where you could dock your ship on one side of the isthmus and they could roll it across logs for four miles. So this city became, if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean... And you can picture the debauchery of all, all the bars and the brothels and the hotels. Like, that's what this place was. It was where sailors would go to camp out for a week at a time while their boat was being dragged across land. And all kinds of crazy things went on there. The Apostle Paul spent 18 months in this city establishing a church there. And this church, of all the churches he started, had an extremely highly volatile spiritual journey. He wrote several letters to Corinth, and the themes that he addressed in Corinth tell us that this church had a rocky start. He said to the church at Corinth, you're Christians, but you're not spiritual. 
It was really the only church he said that to. You're Christians, but you are not spiritual people. Highly volatile relationship. Um, he told him, he said, you, you're, you as a church, you're turning into a bunch of little cliques and you're not reaching anyone. You're turning everyone off. Paul had a volatile spiritual journey. He told this church, you got to quit judging people who aren't in the church yet and focus on the people in the church because they're the ones who don't look like Jesus yet. It was to the church at Corinth where Paul said, why don't you just learn how to be wronged? Why, why, don't you, why don't you feel better being wronged than looking like an idiot always at tension with everyone? I don't know if they had Facebook back in the day, but perhaps he was talking about that. Don't live in constant tension with the world around you. It was the church at Corinth that Paul said in one of his letters, you need to know you can't have sex with your stepmother. Yeah, in our American church, we're like, that's in the Bible? In Corinth, they were like, you can't have sex with your stepmom? I mean, like, this was a place, like, they didn't get it spiritually. Yes, that's in the Bible. Yes, that was going on in Corinth. So it was in Corinth that Paul said, listen, if you want to start living the way God has created you to live in your Christian life, you're going to have to learn to separate from your old life. And listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're only going to read one verse today for our main text. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have these promises, underline that word promises, we're going to go back to it. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates our body and our spirit, perfecting holiness out of a reverence for God. Paul says, since we have these promises... Let's change. So what are the promises? Great question. Look up just a few verses to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Here are the promises, starting in the second half of verse 16. Here's what God has promised. God said for, Paul said, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then Paul says, therefore, since God has promised us this, promised us what? That he'd be with us, that we would be with him, that he would be our God, and that we would be his people, and that he would receive us and love us, and that we would all be a spiritual family. Paul says, since God has said you could have this type of relationship with him, let's learn how to, let's learn how to be different. And he says, let's learn how to perfect holiness. Now, holiness, kind of a spiritual term. If you've not grown up in church, maybe you've never heard this word before, but holiness, holiness is a spiritual way to say an unspiritual word. You know, holiness was a term used in both the Hebrew and Greek language that most simply translates as separate. That's what the word means. It's the word hagios in the Greek, H-A-G-I-O-S. It's a, literally a word that just means separate. Um, some of you, some of you hagios your Oreos before you eat them. You, you take the Oreo and you, and you kind of pull one off the other. You separate. That's what holiness means. Holiness means separate. It's just a word that means separate. When you put it in a Christian context, it sounds more spiritual. We say holiness, but it just means separate. So when Paul says, if you're going to work through the tension of following me, you have to perfect holiness, Paul's not saying you have to become a perfect Christian. Paul's not saying you have to become masters in religion. Paul's not saying you have to know the Bible really well. Perfecting holiness means becoming experts as separating. That's what it means. Paul said, if you're going to cling to God and have him cling to you, if you're going to live in this emotional and spiritual health, you have to become experts at separating. 
And I want to tell you that I believe your emotional and spiritual health this year relies on relies as much on what you separate from as what you separate to. We've already given you some things to separate to. We've, like we've said, add these things to your life. I, I hope it's been some fresh water to your soul. Add putting God first. Ask people to be engaged in more Sundays this year than ever before. Ask people to read their Bible and, and do the memory plan. I can't tell you how many dozens of people have been reading their Bible through together. We have text chains in almost every ministry of our church just talking about how crazy Genesis and Exodus is when you really read it for the first time. People are taking the challenge to put God first. People are taking the challenge to put their family second. We said this year we're not going to spend so much time working for what's in the house that we don't leave any time for who's in the house. We said we're going to add that. We're going to separate to that. And then we said we're going to develop spiritual family. We're going to try to carve out some time in our life to have spiritual family. But separating two things without separating from things doesn't work. It's fresh water without draining the poison first, and it doesn't do a lot, and this was the church at Corinth. The church in Corinth tried to devote themselves to God without first separating from the culture, and it didn't go well. There's a group of people who on Sundays, they look like they love God a lot, and, that, and the rest of the week, you could not tell God was a part of their life at all. That's why I say it was an American New Testament city, because that's what a lot of American Christianity looks like. If you see the American Christian in this venue on Sunday morning, it appears there's something deep going on inside of us between us and God. But if you catch us the rest of the week, sometimes you just can't tell. That's how it was in Corinth. So how do we learn to become experts at separating things that contaminate our body, our spirit, our soul, our emotional health, well, we're going to learn to do that today by leaning into two areas that Paul mentions through his study in the Corinthians. Number one, we've got to learn to separate from sin. You and I have to learn to separate from sin. That really begins with acknowledging sin. You know, sin has a lot of biblical definitions. I'm going to throw a couple of them out there. Sin is missing the mark. That's what sin means in Romans 3.23 when it says all have sinned. It basically says God has this standard that you've missed. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of God's standard for your life or knowing God's standard and living in rebellion to it. And let me say something in case, in case you need to hear this because you've never heard it. Sin is wrong. For a Christian, sin in your life is wrong. And for those of you who are maybe having a, a tough time hearing that, I, I want you to think on something for a minute, okay? Nobody should assume that if there is a God... And he does have standards that when we met God and we found out his standards, we would have already met them all. Like that's kind of an arrogant mindset to have. It'd be like somebody being hired to do your job at your job and the boss comes in and says, hey, I want you to train them for three months. They'd know nothing about what you're doing, but I want them to do your job like you and then walking in the first day and saying, I got it. I, got, I don't need you. I got it. I was created to know everything you know and to do everything just like you or better than you. I mean, no one should assume that. Instead, it would make more sense to think that if there really is a God and he has standards, that as we meet this God and learn his standards, there would be things in our life that don't meet God's standards and we'd have to change. And the change is in the separation. Unless we really believe that God created a world that's centered around us, our likes, our dislikes, our beliefs, our passions. I mean, if we thought that God's world was centered around us, that would kind of make us God, not him. 
It'd be more natural to think that when we meet him, we'd, we might have to adjust some things in our life to his standards. And here how, here's how one verse in the Bible says we adjust to God's standards. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it talks about all the people in the Old Testament who found God and who adjusted to his standards. Therefore, since we see all them, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12 is saying you cannot follow Jesus well until you throw off your sin. You cannot follow Jesus the way you're supposed to. You cannot have the emotional and spiritual health you're supposed to following Jesus until you throw off sin. And listen, we all have sin. Everybody in this room. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. 2,000 years ago, one of Jesus' disciples went into a church and tried to start preaching Jesus. And people were like, oh yeah, I'm just going to add him to, to my life, but I don't need to change anything because I don't have any sin. And John's like, listen, if you say there's nothing sinful in your life, you're deceiving yourself. That's not a truthful statement. So we all have sin. And if we want to get spiritually healthy this year, we have to throw off sin. For those of you thinking, oh, I I don't sin, that's pride. And that's sin. If you're cussing people out during the week when you get angry or frustrated, that's sin. If you're gossiping all the time about people, that's sin. And remember, Christians don't gossip. We just share prayer requests. But listen, if you're, if you're sharing the same prayer request about the same person over and over and over without ever actually talking to that person, that is spiritual gossip and that is sin. If you accept God's forgiveness, but you refuse to forgive others when they offend or hurt you, the Bible says that's sin. If you lie a little bit every time you get caught doing something that's a bit uncomfortable, that's sin. If you're going out and getting drunk and high every weekend, that's sin. If you're celebrating things and celebrating people that you know are sinful, that's sin. If you're not married, but you're having sex, that's sin. God says sex is for marriage. If you're looking at porn, that's sin. If you're having inappropriate emotional relationships with someone who's not your spouse and you're married, that's sin. And listen, I can't list them all. But you have to know what your struggle is. You've got to be aware of it and you've got to be willing to throw it off. Some of you heard for the first time something you're doing doesn't meet God's standard. You didn't even know it before now. You're like, man, I'm glad that I know that. But you have to separate from sin to follow Jesus well. Now, it's at this point that someone always says, listen, Christian, man, you're not going to build a church talking about sin. I'm not trying to build a church. I'm trying to build passionate Christians. And you cannot build passionate Christians without confronting sin and throwing off sin. You say, well, you're going to turn off people who aren't Christians. No, I'm not. One, because I'm not talking to them. And secondly, when I talk to people who are far from God, you know what they're sick of? Christians pointing out their sin without ever recognizing their own. That's what turns people far from God off. So if there are people far from God sitting in here today, you know what? They're not thinking, I hate this church. They're thinking, amen. If they knew that's what you were supposed to think in church, instead they're probably thinking, heck yeah, or something like that, because they don't know our words. They don't know how we do it. But Paul told the church at Corinth, quit recognizing everyone else's sin while hanging on to your own. You've got to throw it off if you want to follow Jesus. It's the Christians who struggle with this teaching. 
Because the sin in us is always threatened by the truth to us. Every single time. If you're a Christian and I just mentioned your sin, you got angry. You, you felt embarrassed. You wanted to run and hide. You felt tension immediately because the sin in us is always threatened by the truth to us. That's the tension I'm talking about that we've got to move past to get spiritually healthy. We've got to separate from sin this year. But we also, Hebrews 12 says, you have to separate from things that entangle you. Things that just trip you up. They're not sinful things, but they're holding you back spiritually. What are these things? Number two, you have to separate from your past. So you have to separate from your sin, but number two, you have to separate from your past. In this same book, Paul would say this in chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, if anyone's a Christian, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Simple question this morning. Is your old gone, or have you kept it while trying to add the new? Is your old gone? Because the new can't totally come until the old is totally gone. So how, how do we get rid of the old? Well, to thrive spiritually, number one, you have to get past your past. You have to know that it's okay. You have to know that in all of our sin, God forgives and gives us new chances to be new creations. We have to get past our past. Paul was mentoring a young kid named Timothy, and here's what he told Timothy about moving on from things in his life. He said, Timothy, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be made instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. He told Timothy, listen, we all have things in our past that are not helpful or useful spiritually. They're not sinful, but the way they sit on your emotions, the way they sit on your experience, you have things from your past that if you cannot let go of, if you can't get past your past, it's going to continue to trip you up and hold you back spiritually. You need to realize, number two, you are not your worst moment. Like in Jesus, you are not your worst moment. You don't have to be defined by it. You don't have to live with it for the rest of your life. I've got a little dog named Rudy that some of you have seen pictures of that I've posted in the past. Rudy loves human food. I mean, Rudy loves human food. That's my fault because I like to see how many times Rudy can catch a chip or a pretzel or a piece of popcorn. So now he's like addicted to human food. And every time we leave the house, he will scour every room in the house to find some human food to eat. And if he finds it, he drags it down into our front room underneath the piano bench and we find Snickers wrappers, we find chips wrappers, we find Starburst wrappers, we find empty packages of gum like Rudy loves people food and clearly he's got like an iron stomach because he's still going strong. Um, but every now and then we'll walk in the house and, and they'll, you know, Rudy will have his little pile of food there and we won't be able to find Rudy anywhere. It's like, where's Rudy? Did he find, you know, finally crawl under a bed and die because he ate a bag of M&Ms? Um, and we look all over and we find him downstairs in his cage because that's where he goes when he gets in trouble. But he will punish himself. He'll go downstairs. He'll sit in the cage with the door open and wait for us to get home. Just kind of saying like, I know I did bad again. So I'm just, just let me know when I can come out. Some of you look like that to me spiritually. Jesus has unlocked the cage of your past. Jesus, Jesus has unlocked the doors of your worst moment. And he has said, you don't have to sit in that prison anymore. 
Like you're free. You don't have to stay there. You're not in trouble. And some of us keep returning to the worst moment of our past and our past. Pastor Ryan preached on the first Sunday of this year. Instead of making our past our potential, we make our past our prison and, and we, we struggle to ever move forward spiritually because we just keep hanging out in the prison of our past, even though it doesn't have any doors on it anymore. See, we have to let our brokenness become our breakthrough, number three. I'm not sure why the things happened in your life to bring you to where you are, but I know this. Daniel and I, a few weeks ago, went and saw this movie, Hidden Figures, about the NASA program sending the first man up into orbit. You know, and as we watch that movie, I was reminded of all the times that I saw the shuttle launch in my youth. And I was reminded of those, those rockets that serves as boosters, Right? Those rockets that get the shuttle, that get the rocket off the ground, um, and then once they do their job, they fall off, and they fall into the sea, and they go retrieve them, and they do them again. Your past has brought you to where you are, but eventually you have to let your past drop off, and then you continue your journey without it. You, you, don't, have, you don't have to have it. You can let your brokenness become your breakthrough, and I know you can do this. Because I've seen it happen with people at our church. We have a lady in our church who, for Christmas this year, put together a, uh, a booklet of every person in our church who's ever been baptized in their stories. So that we could always remember. I've got more than 250 stories in my hands of people at our church who have made spiritual decisions to say yes to Jesus. And their stories are stories that prove you can get past your past. One of our men said, I'm 26 years old, and prior to coming to Journey Church International last fall, I'd never been to two consecutive church services in my entire life. I grew up with a sour taste of what church had to offer, so I never knew what it was like to develop an actual relationship with God. Most churchgoers I knew weren't even good people, so I was turned off to the whole idea of organized worship because of hypocrites. But I decided to start truly following Christ in October, and I've seen a lot of things change for the better since, but mostly my lifestyle. I've begun making a concerted effort to live for God instead of myself. I found my life to be full of optimism. I guess the greatest blessings are those that are least expected. You can get past your past. You're not your worst moment. One of these stories said, my journey up to this point has been one of pain, loss, unhappiness, turmoil, and suffering. I've always been ashamed to tell my story, but now I can proudly say my life is the happiest I've ever been. Having Christ in my life has changed me drastically. It isn't just a word now. I am a Christian. It has depth and meaning behind it. I want to live as a man of God. You can get past your past. You are not locked forever in your worst moment. Your brokenness can become your breakthrough. One of our stories said, I grew up poor with an alcoholic father and a loving mother. I spent most of my life looking for happiness, thinking if I made money, all my problems would go away and happiness would follow. Sad to say, I made the money and what followed was a divorce. Through this terrible experience, I felt helpless and alone. I threw myself into a life I wasn't proud of. But now with Jesus by my side, I am at peace. And with him, I can overcome these everyday challenges. And in my faith, Jesus will help me be the person he wants me to be and the person that I want to be. You can get past your past. You are not locked forever in the prison of your worst moment and your brokenness can actually become your very breakthrough. And you know, one of the greatest spiritual signs that you are willing to separate from your past, one of the greatest spiritual signs is baptism. It's basically saying, I'm going to publicly proclaim to the world 
that my old life is buried. I have separated from it and I'm going to live my new life. Some of you are wrestling through the tension of trying to break from the past. One of the greatest steps you can take is to make the step to be baptized and forever solidify a moment where you said, I'm changing. Inside your bulletin is a card, right? that looks like this. It says baptism. I want everyone to reach in here and pull it out just so you can have it so the person beside you doesn't feel uncomfortable. Even if you've been baptized, I want you to grab it. And I want you to listen to what Romans 6, 4 says about baptism. So grab this card. Just hang on to it. You don't have to fill it out, but just grab this card and listen to what Romans 6, 4 says baptism symbolizes. Paul says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. You know, church, not everyone at our church has perfected holiness. But there are hundreds in this room who have made a statement of intention towards holiness. They've made a statement of separation through their baptism. They've stated their intention to leave the old behind and to pursue the new. And if you've done that, just a minute, our band's going to start playing and we're going to show you a video of everyone who's ever been baptized in our church. And as you see your picture, as you think about your baptism at some previous church, I want you to ask yourself this question. Did I pick the old life up again after I left it there? You know, the interesting thing about this 800 pound boulder is, you know, it's not something we can lift off of our life by ourselves, but it's something we can put back on us in a weird way. So as you reflect on your moment, I want to ask you, have you stayed separated? And if you've not been baptized yet, or maybe you were only baptized because you had to be baptized to join a church or because your mom and dad told you to or because when you were a baby you got baptized or christened, but you have never publicly declared, I want to separate. I want to separate from my past. I want to separate to my future. If not, baptism is your next step. And as you contemplate, as your heart begins to beat quicker and you think, man, do I have the guts to sign up for this? As you contemplate that moment, I want you to celebrate with us hundreds who have gone before you as our band sings and just allows us to focus on this great ordinance of baptism.
The greatest joy of my pastoral life is not the moment people go into the water. It's the stories. It's people's stories saying, I was living in sin. I was living in my prison of my past, but I'm gonna separate. I'm, I'm gonna move on. And I'm telling you, 800 pound boulder after 800 pound boulder has been left in that water if people have said, my sin in my past, I'm gonna move on. If you haven't done it yet, it's your time. You've got this card in your hand, what are you waiting for? This month on February 26th, we're gonna have our next baptism service because there are some of you in here who are living through the tension of trying to move forward who your very next step is to make a statement that I am separating from my old life. If you've never done it of your own accord, Meaning you didn't get baptized because your parents told you to. You didn't get baptized because that's the kind of church you grew up in. You didn't get baptized because you had to join a church. But you got baptized because you said, I am making a decision. The old is going to change. The new is going to come. Then it's your time. And I want you to sign this card right now. And when you leave, I want you to put it in the box as you go out. And I want you to begin your process of publicly stating your separation. But you know what? Before baptism comes Jesus. Some of you are in here today and you're not Christians yet. You've not connected your heart to Jesus, but as you've heard about separating from things that you've never felt right in your heart about and, and leaving a past that you feel like you're in a prison of your entire life, the answer is Jesus. He has the keys to the door. He has the towel that cleans us off. So if you don't know Jesus yet, would you say yes to him this morning? Say, Christian, how do I do that? You just open your heart and you commit to follow so would you just bow your heads with me right now?